Well, let's pray together as we look at God's word. Father, apart from your spirit, we cannot receive your word. But we do have your spirit, and so we pray for his help in receiving and believing your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I've been preaching and teaching a very long time now, and that means I've had some stinkers over the years. But uh, one of the top stinkers that I ever had was uh, when I was invited to teach kids at uh, People's Christian Academy uh, years and years ago. I was still a seminary student, and uh, they invited me in, and uh, the topic was heaven. And uh, I think they were, I think it was a grade two, three class. And uh, the saying goes, if there's a mist in the pulpit, there's going to be a fog in the pews. Well, that day there was a fog. There was no pulpit, but there was a fog in the, on the teacher's part. And so I don't know, there was like a thunderstorm in uh, the classroom. Uh, the kids were, I got up and, what is, what's heaven like? Uh, you're in seminary, teach us what heaven is like. And I would uh, talk about, I think I, I basically had, okay, pearly uh, gates and streets of gold, but that's about it. I'd done a little bit of research, but really I had no idea what heaven was like. Well, you know, I don't know if you know this, but teaching you is the easy part. Uh, pray for the teachers upstairs, because uh, kids are tough. Like, kids just ask really good questions. Now, you do too in the Q&R, but man, I'm so glad the kids aren't in here, because I don't know if I could handle it. The, the questions kids ask are amazing. And that day, I, I just caused so much confusion, and I left. I remember leaving that classroom that day just feeling so discouraged by how dismally I'd failed in describing what heaven was like. And here's the thing. I think a lot of us, uh, when we think about heaven, we don't really have a clue what we're hoping for. Uh, And that makes us not hope for it because you can't really hope for something that you don't know about. If I say, man, aren't you looking forward to one day, to eternity? A lot of us are like, yeah, I guess. Like, uh, it's like describing uh, a place where you're going to go and you just have the foggiest idea of what it will be like. I think it'll be good, but I really don't know. And that's where today's passage comes in handy. I really wish years ago that I had just said, hey kids, let me tell you one day about what eternity will be like. I wish I had opened this passage and just described it for them because it would have been so much better than what I had described on my own that day. Isaiah 35 is meant to point us to the hope that we have in eternity. And it's supposed to, it describes it for us so that it actually becomes something that we hope for. Now, why are we looking at this today? You might be here saying, uh, this is Christmas time. What are we talking about eternity for? Well, a couple reasons. First, it's Advent. And Advent is historically the time that Christians have both prepared for the, the first coming of Jesus but they've also used this as a time to long for the second coming of Jesus. So just as for hundreds of years, Israel was saying, Messiah, come. Christians now have said, imagine that period of longing. You don't need to imagine it because we're in the exact same period of longing. Jesus, come. We're longing for Christ to come. Trevon Wax says this, that Advent is a time of preparation for the Messiah's coming. We put ourselves in the place of faithful Jews in the first century, awaiting the eager expectate, with eager expectation for God to decisively forgive sins and for the exile to end. And at 
the same time, we're waiting for the Messiah's second return. We're longing for the coming of Jesus again. Can't you wait? Uh, I mean, are there times when you're just like, I am, I am just desperately waiting for Jesus to come again? Well, today's passage is going to help because when we see what it will be like when he comes again, it will make us hope. We look forward to when Jesus will come and set this world right, when things will be as they should be, when we shall be as we should be. But here's the other thing. You are meant to long for the new creation. Uh, my wife and I have uh, a difference. Uh, we have a number of differences. I praise God for all of them because uh, the reason, whole reason I married her is because she's different than me, right? I'm so grateful she's not like me. That would not be good. And one of the, the things that's different about us is she is present-oriented and I am future-oriented. And she's able to pull me back into the present and I'm able to uh, bring her into the future a little bit and we complement each other that way. But I don't know which you are, if you're present-day-oriented or future-oriented. But here's what I think scripturally we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be here in the present and we're also supposed to be longing for the future. We're supposed to occupy where we live right now, one eye to the present where God has us, but an other eye longing for the future that God has prepared for us. And what I think of, I don't know if you ever go camping in the summer. I love it. I, I look out today and I'm like, believe it or not, it's going to get nice outside again. It's going to be sunny and warm. And we go camping. I love the beach. I love the campfire. I love everything about camping. But I'll tell you, every time I go camping, I'm desperate to go home. In fact, Paul Tripp says, I'm persuaded that the whole purpose of camping is to make a person long for home. <laughs> After I go camping, I come home, I turn on the shower, I'm like, wow, like this is amazing. I turn on the air conditioner, I'm like, it's just amazing. And Paul Tripp says, he says, right now this world is a little bit like a camping trip. There's a lot to enjoy here, but I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to shed off the inconvenience and the pain and the discomfort that we face right here. There's going to be a day when we enter eternity, and it'll be like, the camping trip was great, but I'm so glad to be home. I'm so glad for this world finally to be what it was meant to be all along. And so today, friends, this is why we're going to look at Isaiah 35, because Advent is a time of preparing our hearts to ache for the second coming of Jesus. It's also a time to remind ourselves, this world is pretty good, like it's amazing, but there's so much pain, and it's like we're camping. We're, this is okay, but we're really longing for the time when we will get rid of the inconvenience and we'll finally be home, the pain, and we'll finally be at home with the world the way that it should be. And so today I want to look at Isaiah 35 and describe... Uh, or look at what Isaiah describes as being eternity. A bit of context, Isaiah 34, uh, if we had time, we would look at it because God has announced that he's going to judge the nations. And so uh, judgment comes before the new earth. If we had time, we would look at Isaiah 34. It's really deconstruction. In Isaiah 34, God undoes creation in judgment. Isaiah 34 is about God's judgment, where God will judge the evil in the world and he will rid the world of evil. And so if we had time, we would say, 
uh, I mean, what we have to talk about with the second coming of Jesus is Jesus will come. Uh, this world will be burned up. It's gonna, sin will be judged. But in Isaiah 35, this is the other side of what will happen. After judgment, God describes our future through Isaiah in poetry. I know that it's going to be a question, so let me just answer it right now. What is Isaiah 35 talking about? It's poetry, right? Is he talking about the return from exile? The answer is yes. Is he talking about when Israel will come back from Babylon uh, and Assyria, uh, uh, Israel and Judah will return from exile? Yes, that's what he's talking about. Is he talking about the coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago? The answer is yes. He's talking about that. Is he talking about the future that we look forward to as believers in Jesus Christ that one day we will get to enjoy? The answer is yes. I believe that Isaiah here is looking at uh, three horizons. And you're going to see that some of what he talks about here will only come true, not with the return from exile, not even with the first coming of Jesus. Some of what we're talking about here will only come true when Jesus returns again. And so there's this triple horizon where he's looking at uh, how the exile will partially fulfill this, the coming of Jesus will partially fulfill this, but this will finally be true when Jesus comes again. And Isaiah uh, points us to so many things in this passage. As usual, I mean, we could just spend weeks in this, but let me just highlight three of the best features of this new creation that is going to take place one day. First is this, a rejuvenated world. The first is this, a rejuvenated world. Can I just be honest? This world is good, isn't it? We see the beauty. Uh, one of the things I love about this time of year is uh, the sun, uh, our condo faces southeast, and uh, in the morning we have a, a fairly good view of the southeast sky, and the sun is far enough south that we see the beauty. When it's not cloudy, we see the beauty of the sunrise. And every morning we just look at the sun and we go, wow, God is good. Isn't it amazing how good God is? This world is good. But you and I know that this world is also not as good as it was meant to be. The reason why is in Genesis 3, sin entered the world and sin has actually affected creation. Uh, in Genesis 3, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Has anybody had thorns and thistles this week? Okay. This is the world we live in, full of difficulty, full of hard work, thorns and thistles. You shall eat the plant of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread. You shall return to the ground. This world is not what it should be. In Romans 8.22, it says the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There's something about this world where we see glimpses of beauty, but we see the pain, we see the longing for the world to be what it should be. As John Bloom says, there's something about our life that ought to mean more than spawning more life. Like, we just have kids, we die. They have kids, they die. There's... There should be more than that. There's something about sickness. I know there's a lot of sickness going around. There's something about sickness that needs to be cured. There's something about calamity 
that ought to be prevented. There's something about injustice that needs to be brought to justice. There's something about death that ought not to be our ultimate end. And we long for this to be fixed. I stood at a graveside a week ago, and as the body was placed in the crypt, it was like, There's, this is wrong. This is not the way the world is supposed to be. Well, you know, a lot of us picture eternity as being like floating in some cloud wearing, uh, I don't know, robes of white. We picture this immaterial world. But that's not the picture that Isaiah gives us. Isaiah gives us a picture of a rejuvenated world that's exploding with joy. And so friends, as you look to eternity, the first thing Isaiah says is this going to be amazing. It's going to be like this, only better. Read the first part of Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly with rejoicing and singing. The glory of Lebanon, I've been to Lebanon. It's nice. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. What he's saying here is, friends, eternity won't be immaterial. In eternity, you will be a physical resurrected being. Your body will be resurrected. You will be touching and tasting and seeing and smelling and feeling. You will go to heaven temporarily, but then heaven will come to earth. Your future is earthly. And the thing that will make the world so lush and beautiful is actually, he says, the glory and majesty of God that will make everything come alive. Randy Alcorn puts it this way. All of our lives, we've been dreaming of the new earth. Whenever we see beauty in water, wind, flower, deer, man, woman, or child, we catch a glimpse of heaven. Let me interrupt there. I'm so much looking forward to the potluck that we're having in January. Do you realize that potluck, I, I mean, I'm just, no pressure. I just expect the food to be amazing that day. Um, I've tasted how some of you cook. When you taste or see something beautiful, that is only like a sample of what the new creation will be like. On that day when we're dishing up food and we're just like, who made this? This is amazing. That's going to be like just a preview of what things will be like that day. Randy Alcorn goes on and says, like he's saying, whenever we get a glimpse of beauty or a glimpse of joy or satisfaction, that's just like a, a glimpse of what heaven will be like. Just like the Garden of Eden, he says, the new earth will be a place of sensory delight, breathtaking beauty, satisfying relationships, and personal joy. You know that conversation you've had where you're, your hearts connect and you're just like, oh, like, why don't we have more of this? I just feel like I'm refreshed after spending time with you. You know, you know those conversations where you're just like, this could last all day. Like, I just love this. That will be eternity. That will just be, you know when you meet somebody and you're just like, We're, I'm not talking romantically. You're just like, I could be your best friend. Like, you're amazing. That's going to be everybody you meet in eternity. You're going to connect with them. There won't be any social awkwardness. Some of us won't know what to do because we've lived our whole lives with social awkwardness. On that day, it'll be like, wow, this is so amazing. On that day, as Randy Alcorn says, we will not live in a sterile environment or float about among endless clouds with nothing to do. 
We will live on an all-new earth, just like this one, except free from storms, earthquakes, drought, floods, or any disasters. Things will grow easily and weeds and thorns won't exist. Animals will not harm us, but rather look to us benevolently as their leaders and benefactors. God will rejuvenate the world. The curse that creation is experiencing will be over. Friends, that is what we have to look forward to. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for the day when we will get to enjoy the best culture. Uh, Dia Carson talks about, like right now, uh, there's so many languages I want to learn. There's so many places of the world I want to explore. I used to think that in eternity that'll all be over, right? Um, because we'll just be floating on clouds somewhere. And Dia, Dia Carson points out, you know what? You want to learn Japanese? Take 10,000 years and learn Japanese. You'll have the time. <laughs> if, you wanna, if you've always wanted to go to Thailand, you know, the fact that the Bible teaches that every tr tongue and tribe and nation will be giving praise. It's not like God will eradicate our cultural differences. It's just that every culture will be redeemed and praise God. And so if you've always wanted to experience Thai culture, you'll have eternity to do it. On that day, we will enjoy relationships. Uh, if you've ever wondered, like, why do we have to end this conversation? I got to go. Sorry, I got something to do. On that day, it'll be like, you know what? Could you stick around for like three years and we can finish this conversation properly? Like, that's what we have to look forward to. Not floating in the clouds, but the world being as it should be, rejuvenated, full of joy, bursting with life. That's what eternity will be like. You know, the second thing that Isaiah points out in verses five and six is not only will he remake creation, the world, but we will also experience a changed humanity. Not just a rejuvenated world, but we will be changed. Verses five and six say this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then the, shall the layman leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. What a day. What good would a rejuvenated creation be if we were still the same? It doesn't matter how lush the new creation would be, if we still needed rehab hospitals and cancer wards and funeral homes. On that day, though, all of that will be behind us. God has promised that he will deal with our physical disabilities. Jesus gave us a preview of this in his life. That's why in Matthew 15, we read that great crowds came to him and they brought to him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And he put them at his feet. They put him at, them at his feet and he healed them. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. Jesus came and partially fulfilled this prophecy. He said, let me give you a glimpse of what's coming. I'm just giving you a preview. One day, there's still plenty of blind and lame and, and uh, deaf and but I'm just healing some of them as a preview of the coming attraction, what I'm going to do with everybody on that day. That's why, as Tim Keller says, uh, we modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order. But Jesus actually says it's the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God didn't originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem 
it where it is wrong and heal the world where it's broken. And his miracles aren't just proofs that he has power. They're actually foretastes of what he's going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we want is coming. On that day, the miracles of Jesus will not just be some people in one place. Uh, On that day, Jesus will heal every disease. On that day, every affliction will be over. Some of us are grieving this Christmas. We've had family members die. There will be no funeral homes on that day. If you work in a funeral home, there will be no need. We're going to have to re-employ you doing something else. There will be no undertakers on that day. Some of you today have ailing bodies. You won't when Jesus comes again. No matter what your experience of sin and death, you have reason for hope because this is not forever. But you know, it gets even better. I don't know about you. Uh, my, I, my biggest problem isn't, I mean, we all have physical things. But to be honest, my biggest problem are not what's wrong with me physically. My biggest problem is what's wrong with me spiritually. In Isaiah, he often uses physical maladies as an image for, or metaphor for a spiritual condition. And the good news, I think, in this promise, contained in this promise, is not only will God heal us physically, but God will heal us spiritually. We will be changed on that day. No more sin, no more shame, no more sense of deep anguish, uh, no more sense of inadequacy. On that day, we will be changed. Romans 8 says, we will be conformed to the image of God's Son. Ephesians 5 says that we will be presented to himself. Listen to this. This is how God will present you to Jesus. He will present his church to Jesus in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I don't know if you know of Johnny Erickson Tata. A number of years ago, she dove into a swimming pool and broke her neck. She's lived uh, 55 years as a paraplegic. You would think that on that day, the thing that she hopes for is that she will walk again. For the first time since she was young, she'll get up out of the wheelchair. She'll be able to write with her hands. She'll be able to have her body back again. You would think that would be what she's looking forward to that day. But here's what she says she's looking forward to the most. She says, don't be thinking that for me in heaven, the big deal uh, after I get to see Jesus is my new body. She says, no, I want a glorified heart. I want a glorified heart that no longer twists the truth, that no longer resists God, that no longer looks for an escape or gets defeated by pain or becomes anxious or worrisome or manipulates my husband with precisely timed phrases. She says, you know, my new body is going to be amazing, but what I really look forward to on that day is a new heart. I look forward to my heart finally being what it should be. No more temptation, no more sin, no more failure, no more shame. Not just physically changed, but spiritually changed. That is our future. And so picture this. A new creation. The world finally what it should be. And you made new. Presented to Jesus with, in splendor. Uh, I love weddings. I, I don't always love weddings. I don't like all the drama around weddings. 
You know what I love about weddings? I love when the doors open. I love when the bride enters. And in my mind, there's only one thing more beautiful than the bride at that point. It's the face of the groom as he looks upon the bride. And I, everyone's looking at the bride. I think some of us have clued into this. They're like, you know what's even better? The bride's always beautiful. The bride comes down the aisle. You know what's even more beautiful is the love of the husband for the bride as she walks down the aisle. That will be Jesus looking at you that day. As the doors open, so to speak, at the wedding of us to Jesus, he will look upon us with love and we'll enter full of splendor and glory and be reunited with our Savior. We will see him face to face and he will be full of love for us. That's what we have to look forward to on that day. Rejuvenated creation uh, changed humanity but there's one more thing in this passage. The third feature that is also amazing here, verses 8 to 10. And this is best of all. The other part's only a preview. We will have access to God himself. We will have access to God himself. And so the best part on that day won't be like, wow, the world is finally what it should be. The best part on that day won't even be like, wow, my body is full of, free of everything that was wrong with it. And not only that, but my soul has been healed. That won't even be the best part. The best part is we will have access to God himself. What makes the new earth so great? Better than pearly gates or streets of gold? Better than no sickness and death? Better than all the cultures of the world that we get to explore for eternity is actually the presence of God himself. We will have a direct road and express route to God himself. And nothing, no wild animal, nothing, will be able to block our direct access to God. The verses 8 to 10 say, A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. The only people who won't be able to go on it are those who've never trusted Christ, never come to Christ and said, We need your righteousness. Anyone who trusts Christ on that day will be granted his righteousness. They'll be able to walk down this highway. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, and I love this, even if they're fools, they shall, shall not go astray. Even our stupidity won't prevent us from this access to God. On that day, anyone who's trusted in Christ, regardless of your ability to function well, on that day, all who've trusted in Christ will be able to walk down this hallway, no, this uh, highway, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. There's a theological term I don't think we think about enough. It's called the beatific vision. It sounds like, what is that about? That sounds really weird. You know how sometimes when you look at something, it just sets your heart right? Uh, it, you know how sometimes you're full of stress and you go to see, you're on the ocean and the sun is setting and there's mountains and you just see the beauty and you're like, oh, my problems have dissolved. I just feel like I've seen what I'm seeing with my eyes is right-sizing me. It feels like all my problems are vanishing. Well, the doctrine of the beatific vision says this, that one day we will see God in his glory and we'll realize that's what I've been looking for my whole life. 
On that day, we will be deeply satisfied because we will see God. And on that day, just seeing God for who he is will fill our souls. It'll be like, this is what I've been looking for all along. This is what I was made for, to gaze upon God's glory. On that day, we won't have to sing songs and say, you know, good song, but my heart is in a fog today. I'm tired. My heart, these seem, I know it's true. I just don't feel like it. On that day, we will be filled with the glory of God. We will see him for who he is. He will deeply satisfy our souls. Nothing will keep us away from him. That's what we have to look forward to experiencing. The return of exile was just a preview. The ministry of Jesus was only a preview, a really good preview, but just a preview. But on that day, Jesus will come, and all of this will be what we get to enjoy for eternity. This is our ultimate hope. We will be changed. We will live in a rejuvenated world with direct access to God. How shall we live in light of this? How should this affect us now? Part of the reason Isaiah gave this prophecy is because uh, when he prophesied this to Israel, they still had the exile to look forward to. And he's giving them a view of what's on the other side of the exile. I don't know what you have coming up. I know some of us have stress and problems and deadlines and difficulties, uh, a lot maybe suffering to look forward to. And what Isaiah is doing here is saying, let me show you what's on the other side. Let me show you on the other side so you can last through the difficulties and the stress. In fact, look at verses three to four. Here's how we should live in light of this. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold your God. will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Friends, in light of this, here's what you should do. Take courage. What you're going through right now is temporary. I'm not saying it's not hard, but it's temporary. There is waiting for you an eternal weight of glory that's greater. The 2 Corinthians, when it says, it talks about an eternal weight of glory, I think you could actually translate that an eternal tonnage of glory. Like there is more glory in your future than you can imagine. And so today, take courage. Your waiting is temporary. Look to what is coming because he will come and save you. As one commentator says, we're not really talking about grim determination here. We're actually talking about believing determination. When you get a glimpse of this, when you actually say, Father, thank you that this is coming, it will give you the ability to persevere through whatever it is that you're going through right now. And it will fill your heart with hope as you look forward to that day when these things will become true. Ray Ortland says, all of our lives, we've just wanted to be happy. But all of our lives, something has always spoiled it. God is saying, trust me enough to follow me. And I will bring you home with singing. Friends, trust Jesus today if you haven't. If you've trusted him, look to him. Make this your hope. And he says, I will overwhelm you with a joy unbroken and unbreakable. And your sorrow and sighing will run for it. Trust this God. Trust the one who sent his son to save us. Trust the one who with his son acted to make full payment for our sins. Trust this God 
who will make all things new. New creation will feature a rejuvenated world, a changed humanity, and access to God himself. So take courage. Long for Jesus to come. Come, that long-expected Jesus. And so, Lord, we can't wait for this day. Lord, I, I can't wait for the day when everything that's wrong with this world will be changed. On that day, we will have no more earthquakes. On that day, no more tsunamis. On that day, no more cancer. On that day, no more death. Lord, we long for that day. Lord, on that day, no more sin, no more shame, no more sense of deep inadequacy, no more depression. On that day, our hearts will be changed. We will desire you as we were meant to desire you. We won't be battling sin and temptation any longer. Uh, We will be changed. But Lord, best of all, on that day, we will have access to you. Uh, Lord, on that day, we will go down that highway completely unthreatened. We will actually be in your presence and behold your glory. We long for that day. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to take courage now. Uh, Right now, we live in a world full of difficulties and trials. I pray that a view of what's coming for us in the future will enable us to take courage to strengthen ourselves, knowing that it's temporary. But Lord, we long for that day. And so come, Lord Jesus. In a few minutes, we're going to sing Joy to the World, which is a song that was written. We sing it at Christmas, but it's really about the second coming of Jesus. Lord, we long for that day when joy will come to the world. Until then, Lord, help us to take courage. Help us to look to Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've just seen in God's word about the glorious realities that await those of us who are in Christ. And we'll take a moment now to ask some questions about what we've just heard preached. Uh, As Femi said earlier, we'll be focusing on the questions that help us to understand and apply the passage to our lives. So Daryl, question for you. Uh, During the sermon, you mentioned that we'd go to heaven temporarily and then to a new earth. Would you mind elaborating on that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So... uh we talk about going to heaven, but, and we will all go to heaven, those who've trusted Christ as Savior. And that will be a, what's called the intermediate state. Uh, that's when, before the resurrection, uh, Paul says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When the resurrection takes place, though, one day our bodies that are buried here on the earth will be raised again. And uh, we, it, it talks about the fact that on that day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, Mike Whitmer uh, has written a book called Heaven is a Place on Earth, where he argues actually our ultimate future is not that we'll be in heaven, but that we'll be resurrected in a remade earth. Heaven will come to earth. So our future is actually an earthly one. Hmm. So this is new for a lot of us. We think of going to heaven, and we, we even sing heaven is not our home. And Mike, Whit- Mike Whitmer would say, heaven it isn't your home. Earth is your home, just a remade earth on hmm. that day. So. Hmm. Thanks. Um, so another question in terms of how this impacts not only believers, but non-believers. Are the promises that we have of a restored body, glorified heart, and rejuvenated world only for believers? And what about non-believers? What's their experience in a new earth going to be? 
Isaiah 34 is uh, pointing to that, which is the, the judgment. Uh, on that day, sin will be eradicated. Uh, judgment will be meted out against evil. And that means that for all who haven't trusted in Christ, they will experience the judgment of Isaiah 34 instead of the renewed creation of Isaiah 35. Mm-hmm. And as I say that, I'll, I'll just say two things. That breaks my heart because on one hand, like we long for judgment, don't we? Like uh, near us is a place where horrible crimes were committed. And every time I go past that building, I'm just filled with anguish. And I want the person who committed those crimes to be judged. On that day, those things will be judged. Um, but the other thing I'll say, I think others have pointed out, it's not like on that day people will be saying, um, like, spare me from judgment. I wish I had another chance to believe. On that day, the people who God judges will still be basically shaking their fists at God. So mm. it won't be that they're like, oh, I wish I could be saved now. It'll be still they'll be defying against God. Mm. And God will be uh, in his wrath justly uh, punishing them. Mm. Yeah. That's helpful. Thank you. Well, when we think about uh, what the future may hold for the new heavens and the new earth, uh, there can be a temptation to kind of get so caught up in it, we forget our responsibilities in the here and now. So how would you say that we could avoid neglecting our responsibilities on earth in our longing in heaven? In other words, how do we discern between longing and abdication? You know, there's that saying about uh, uh, so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. I've never met anybody like that. I've actually, the people who are heavenly minded, I think are of the most earthly good. So uh, again, as Charlene and I balance each other out with the, both the present and the future application, I think that's what we need. We need like, may the vision of the future actually help us live in the present faithfully now. Mm-hmm. I think the two really go well together. Um, and I, I think it's Colossians 3, set your mind on things above. And uh, that will actually help us to be faithful here on earth in the meantime. Mm. Thanks, that's good. You mentioned also about uh, how we're going to have an eternity to visit countries, so we shouldn't worry if we don't get to hit all the ones on our bucket list now. Um, so if we're going to have all that time to do that in the future, in the new heavens and the new earth, then why should we bother doing it now? Would our time be better, <laughs> Would our time be better uh, used focusing on more uh, quote-unquote gospel-centric activities? You know, the, uh, that's a tricky question because God has given us good gifts to enjoy now. Mm. I think we're not supposed to... like. Uh, Ecclesiastes points out the futility and the brevity of life and how there's more uh, beyond. And then the conclusion of Ecclesiastes is so like, enjoy life. Like really, uh, you could say suck the marrow out of life. Like I think we're meant to enjoy this now, but just not put our ultimate hope in it. So Mm. go on trips. Like if you've got a trip planned, enjoy it. It's not unspiritual to do that. Just don't make it your ultimate hope. Mm. And I think you know, this whole thing of bucket lists, I really, I began to develop one and then I, I stopped myself because it's like, I don't need a bucket list. Eternity is my bucket list. So in the end, we can look forward to eternity to, if I don't ever make it to the countries I want to, it doesn't matter because eternity is going to be so much better. So there's a tension there. Um, if Charlene were up here, she'd say, almost every question that is asked like this is a case of two ditches. Like you can fall in this ditch or that ditch. And Uh, you can either not enjoy life or you can enjoy it too much. Go down the middle and avoid both ditches and you'll be okay. Mm, Thanks for that. Uh, Maybe a a final question here. I think when we speak of uh, rejuvenated bodies in the new heavens and new earth, um, 
I think that can be sometimes a hard thing to think of for maybe mothers who've, who've lost their children through miscarriages or otherwise. So would you say that uh, mothers who've experienced losses, loss of children in their wombs will be able to look forward to seeing their children in heaven with new bodies? I believe so. And yeah, I, that, I mean that, however it looks like, I believe so. Uh, and on that day, like I will say this, we know 100% for sure, Every wound will be healed. Uh, everything that has gone wrong and broken our hearts will on that day be um, solved and, and resolved. So I think that we can look forward to that on that day. That's great. That's good news. Thanks, Daryl. I'll take a quick moment to pray for us.